Hello, podcast friends. I'm Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another Chase Jarvis Live show here on Creative Live. This show is where I sit down with the world's top creators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I unpack their brain with the with the goal, the end vision of creating a bunch of actionable and valuable insights that are going to help you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. And we've done enough of these episodes that, frankly speaking, I think we're getting pretty damn good. And we have some super badass guests, like my guest today, comma, longtime homie, comma, Ramit Sethi. That's right. You have probably, uh, gosh, if you've been following me for any length of time, you know that I'm always championing Ramit's stuff. Ramit is the best-selling author of the book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, and he writes a monthly blog and newsletter that reaches more than a million people on his website, IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. Go figure. He's also got this other great site called GrowthLabs.com, an entire site dedicated to helping people launch and grow online businesses. In short, Ramit is, he started out in personal finance and he grew that his footprint on the internet to now, he's like a money master, a business strategist, and he, he really helps creatives like you and me in particular. He, and you know, right now you're going, wait a minute, I will teach you to be rich. Like what, rich is like clocking dollars? Actually, I think he does a really good job of positioning what it means to be rich, not just making money but all of the things it means to be rich, not just your wallet, but your spirit, not just your bank account, but your soul, your thought patterns, your daily habits. What does it mean to be to, to, to live a rich life? Ramit's been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, CNN. And of all things, he studied social influence and persuasion at Stanford. That was, you know, I was first introduced to Ramit by Tim Ferriss. Uh, we met at one of uh, at Tim's house or where was it? At, at an event, actually. And uh, he's like, yeah, I studied um, persuasion and, and social influence at Stanford. I was like, whoa, I want to know this guy. So I cornered him uh, and, and we talked for an hour. Our first time, our first date, if you will. He's also co-founded some startups. The guy is an all-around badass. But in this particular episode, we get crystal clear on... What separates the best from those sort of people who want to hack the system? Or and it's and, and I got to be careful because I don't want to overly preach secrets. I don't want to overly preach some you know dramatic shortcut. But I do want to tell you the way that Ramit and people like Ramit think on this podcast. And he does, I think, an exceptional job of talking like not romantically about patience, about discipline, about sacrifice. Uh, I'll confess that I have a blog post where I I say I have learned more about pitching sort of creative services and vision and positioning from him than anyone else. I actually, he, I was doing it and then he actually told me what I was doing scientifically, psychologically. He's like, oh yeah, I really love how you position that. What you're doing here is X and Y. And it was like a light bulb. Boom. I didn't know why I was doing it or what I was doing it, but he deconstructed that for me and I think you will find how we or he talks about that uh, to be very valuable. Um, that you know, positioning oneself relative to your competition, how to anticipate your clients' needs, and not be sort of chasing them, but how to create a world where they chase you, and how you can 10x your rates, your your money in the process. We also talk about getting focused and how to be 
comfortable saying no, which is something I realized that so many people of us with a really creative, hardworking spirit will say yes to damn near anything, especially if it has a little bit of excitement. He talks a lot about how to say no. And one thing that I'll leave you with, this is like sort of the vision thing we talk about at that somewhere in the middle about, gosh, if you don't actually, you know, I've said this before, if you don't write your script, your own script, someone else will write it for you. Ramit talks about how to set aside time to carve carve up your schedule in a way that allows you to think big, to think strategy, not just work harder, but work smarter. And he says, you know, one thing, like he, he confesses to also to having maybe one or two game-changing life or career-transforming ideas per year. And he talks about how to how to like pull those out from all the other ideas that you have when you're standing in the shower. I like this episode so much. How about this? That if you don't like it, you can have your money back. Full money back guarantee on this free podcast. Sorry, just kidding. I'm running long, but I promise you're going to get real value. I love Ramit. I love our conversation. And I love our sponsor. Of course I do. It's Creative Live. I'm just going to cut to the chase here. But before we go into the sponsor, read and I'll tell you about Creative Live, I do want to say that Ramit has a class on Creative Live that I think is exceptional. It's called How to Make Money. It is it, You could not get more direct than that. This title, it says it all, and the results, they speak for themselves. I know you will be impressed. But first, let me give you the backstory and what you need to know about our sponsor, Creative Live. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times best-selling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. I, again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world. More than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform. So, you know, that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind Creative Live. But here's the why, which I think is so critical. Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a, a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and the design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. 
And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, Now let's get into the show. All right, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, super good to have you. You are your second time visitor. I'm honored. It's and the show's been almost five years running. Dang. Uh, this one, people know, is not live, even though it's called Chase Jarvis Live here on Creative Live. But the benefit is that now we can just we can really go renegade and edit later, make bingo. Work, All right. Make, so make curse words, any of it, slurs, any of it. All right, I'm ready. I won't tell people that it's ten in the morning. We've been drinking heavily already. <laughs> um, no, the, here's. I really want to focus this interview on a handful of things. You know the audience is primarily um, creatives, entrepreneur, people who want to be more creative or more entrepreneurial. They realize that the, the world is moving in a, in a, towards a freelance world where you're trying to define your own thing. If our parents had one job, we will have five and the next generation will have five at the same time. So how do we incorporate a life, a rich life, mm. where we get to do the things that we want and still be responsible? Yeah. Um, so... Straight off the bat, why don't you just give a little bit of an overview, knowing that you've been on the show before, and that show's been seen hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times, um, but give a little overview on how you went from being little Ramit to <laughs> sitting right here in this chair. <laughs> well, I always say, you know, if, if I'd followed my default life path, I'd probably be 50 pounds skinnier, I'd be wearing an ill-fitting polo shirt, and, you know, like a Cisco technician working <laughs> in a cubicle right now, and every day I... Thank God that that's not the case because, you know, I made a couple of pivotal life decisions that took me on a different path. Mm -hmm. So starting from when I was younger, grew up in a family, not a lot of money. And in order to get into college, I had to apply for a bunch of scholarships. Well, I took that first scholarship check, invested it in the stock market, lost half of that money. (laughs) Not a good move. And but uh, you thought you were being awesome, right? Oh, I was 1999, 2000, I'm so cool, I'm an investor. No, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. And I started learning about money and I started learning about human behavior as well. So there are all these things that everybody tells us we need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to cut back on lattes, you need to work out more. And we know these things, but we don't actually do them. So I'm really fascinated with why. What's the nexus between what we know we should do and what we don't? And so I started writing about money. And actually from a creative perspective, I tried to teach people for free. Nobody came. Everybody said they wanted it, but no one ever showed up. It's like, ah, it's frustrating, but I want to crack the code. So I started writing about it on a blog called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Kind of a weird name, I know. And uh, my friends at Stanford, they started reading it and then other people started reading it. That's how it works. Yeah, and and no secrets to it. It was just writing material, being consistent, showing up every day, trying to get better. And eventually it sort of expanded. And now, you know, money's an important part, but I think it's a small part of a rich life. Now we have, you know, dozens of employees. We have a million readers a month. We talk about everything from starting a business we talk about finding a dream job, mm-hmm. even fitness and food, all the different parts of a rich life. 
I love it. And that's one of the reasons that I was very, very particular. Sorry, I've been hounding you. <laughs> We're both busy guys, been friends for a long time. Like, dude, you're coming on the show. <laughs> okay, okay, how about the 23rd? How about the 20th? How about the... But one of the reasons that I, I was, it was a requirement for you to be a part of this, this particular series is because I, I feel like what I'm learning about the people who pay attention to me and to Creative Live is that sort of two piles of people, and this is, I'm, I'm generalizing, but there's the folks, you know, again, I set that up earlier, people who want to live a more creative life, want to be more entrepreneurial uh, and sort of tap into their dreams. But there's a whole group of people that are kind of, they're, they haven't started that process yet or they think of themselves as like, I need to get out of this particular XYZ that I'm in, whether that's a uh, corporate job or um, they're in a relationship they, they want to get out of and I want to go from zero to one, I want to like get started. Yeah. And then there's a, an entirely other pool of people who are have either they're maybe they're working creative, maybe they're a freelancer, and they say, "All right, great, um, I got this thing, and now how do I make it amazing?" Yeah. And there's a little bit of a different mentality between the two of those. So, like to me, that's a great place to start the conversation because I know, I mean, I'm super familiar with your stuff. I have applied your financial, the automating of your finances. Awesome. Um, but I also know we've had a lot of deep conversations around these two, this like zero to one, how do you get started? And then once you start, where do you go? So let's start with the first pile of people. And your background is in behavioral psychology from Stanford. What is the psychology between that thing you said earlier, the people who like, oh man, I wanna, I wanna get fit, I wanna do a thing, and how, how, do, you go from, how do you go from zero to one? So The, the best example I know of is a random woman who responded to one of my emails. So I send out millions of emails every month. Yep. And I always say, write back to me, I read every email. And I do, I read every single email that comes in every day. And one of the questions I asked my readers You're one You're so time, brave, first of all, that's amazing. Well, you know, you gotta have a thick skin. Yeah. And after a while, I went it's from sick. getting hurt to yeah. like, I got an elephant hide now. I'm like, man, this is funny, what's going on? And I just, you know, What's the rule, going on with you the rule of internet trolls is like, don't respond. And yeah. I respond to everyone. Just to, <laughs> I mean, it's like entertaining. I'm like, you're gonna come into my house? It's like a comedian. Why would you go in and heckle a comedian? Yeah. They're better at this. Yeah. They've been doing it their whole life. You're about to get smacked down. So yeah. anyway, so this, this woman was not heckling. She gave a real response. I asked people, what's something you claim you want to do, but you actually don't do it? And I think for a lot of us, that could be, you know, I want to start writing a book. I want to redesign my website. I want to get a couple of photography clients. Whatever it might be, there's something we want to do in the back of our head, but we don't do it. So she said, you know, I want to run three times a week. And I wrote back and I said, why don't you just run once? And her response was amazing. She said, why would I bother running once? It doesn't do anything. So think about that. Yeah. She'd rather dream about running three times a week than actually run once. And so many of us, when we're being creative, yeah. we start off saying, you know, I want to shoot Lady Gaga. Well, you're probably not going to do that day one. In fact, you're probably just going to go out and shoot bikes on the street. That's what everybody does. Or Gary, or your friend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Gary, hey, stand still, Gary. I'm gonna take a picture of exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. But we often, so many times, we wanna jump ahead. And I see it in so many examples when you know, we look at somebody's apartment, we look at our parents, their house, and we're just like, oh my God, look, they, they have everything. everything. They have three spatulas, they have <laughs> 10 different types of pillows. <laughs> I need that. It's like, it took them 30 years to get there. Sure. And sometimes it's okay to start off with a couple of spoons, you know, and you work your way up. That patience, that discipline, that craftsmanship, that's something that I've found separates the best from the people who want to get rich quick. So 
if we get out of the get rich quick idea and just realize that the people who are paying attention to this thing right now, they let's just assume, because otherwise we could go down a very deep rabbit hole. Let's just assume that they actually want to make those change. And yeah. I'm I'm banking that 90% of the people are in that category of that woman. She's like, why would I just take one picture? Yeah. Um, because that doesn't a photographer make, or why would I, uh, how, how can I basically get started on something that's sustainable? Mm. So what you told that to the woman and you said, how about running once? And then after you're done running once, run again. So what's the psychology of, and how do you as a psychologist and someone who helps people do this, how, how, how should we think about it? Well, the, the first thing is to look at the people who are actually doing what you want to do, the people who are shooting Lady Gaga, the people who are the best at what they do, and actually study them. I think a lot of us, we want to reinvent the wheel, but if, you go, if I wanted to study your progress, I would say Chase Jarvis interview in Google, uh-huh. and I would read what you've said and watch your videos, and you talk about it. You hustled, you did stuff for free, you like learned by getting on the ground, and you'll find this kind of uncomfortable truth that everyone who's the best started at the same level, and yet they had a different thought process. One, they were comfortable and humble enough to start at the beginning, and second, they knew it was about craftsmanship. Instead of, I'm gonna jump from one to a thousand, I'm gonna go from one to 1.1. And there's a belief that the people who have sort of made it, and again, I I think it's fair to say that the people that I have on this show have made it, otherwise they wouldn't be on the show. They've made it in some way, shape, or form, and I am I'm familiar with the concept of people thinking that, oh, you did this, and then I get asked in interviews all the time, what was your lucky break? Your moment. My moment, my lucky break, let's see, and, I, and my answer is like, let's see, I think it happened, it, it's basically about 10 years of yeah. busting my ass is the moment. So I, I recently wrote a post on our friend Tim Ferriss' site, and I wrote about the $5 million week. We had a week where our business generated $5 million, and that's pretty cool. I mean, a lot of people look at it, wow, what's the secret? What website technique tool optimization did you use? Oh, this magic button. Yeah, yeah. The $5 million we changed button. the color to blue and it optimized everything. And so I wrote about it and I started off by saying, this is the amount, but let's talk about the decisions that made it possible. And there's so many subtle, tough decisions and I went through all of them. One, okay. I didn't try to do everything at once. So for creatives, one of the things you're gonna discover is that everyone has an opinion about what you should do. And if you've ever tried something new, I'm trying to learn a language, I'm trying to lose weight. As soon as you tell people, oh, you gotta try paleo, you gotta try this, you gotta try that. If you start a, uh, anything creative or a business, you're gonna have people saying, you need to get on Twitter, you need to get a Facebook page, you need to do X, Y, Z. We didn't do SEO, Twitter, any of that stuff for years, years. Why? Because we picked a couple things to be really great at. We took the time to learn it. For us, it's email. We took the time, and if you sign up for our email list at IWillTeachToBeRich.com, you're gonna see, within three days, these emails are different than anything you've ever seen. And we spent years learning it. Finally, when we, we felt pretty good. We felt like, all right, we know what we're doing. Then we added one more thing on. But people right now, they'll tell me like, you gotta do this channel and this and this and that. And I'm like, I'm not good enough. I don't know how to do that yet. So I have a a little text document, it's called Do It Later, and I'll just add ideas that people tell me. And maybe every six months I'll go and look at it and say like, is it time? And as you get better, your intuition gets a little honed. But one of the things that I learned is just being more comfortable saying no and focusing on just a couple of things that you can become great at. 
What's an example for, I, I guess, let me tweak that a little bit. So instead of an example of how to be more creative, talk to me about habits and, and process. Because to me, that you know, I, there's a list of 10 habits that I do every day. And I know that if I do these 10 habits that I am almost, I generalize and say that I'm my best self. Yeah. And the more of those that I, and it's not like, oh, well, I didn't do one of them today. I missed one, so I'm going to do zero, like the woman in your example. Yeah. But I know the more of these habits that I do, the better I'm going to be. And that's better human, better creator, better husband, better friend, all those things. Talking about habits. Yeah. And process. Love it. Clearly, that's important. I love it. So, Scott Adams, the cartoonist, has a great quote that says, uh, Losers have goals, winners have systems. And I'm all about systems. Um, my personal finance book is not about cutting back on lattes or feeling guilty about buying an appetizer. It's about setting up an automation system that runs, whether you are there or not, and it just works. Your money goes, it's not emotional anymore, it's just, it runs. It's, just, it's a machine. No big deal. Uh, I also was inspired, there's an article in the Atlantic Monthly about Olympic athletes. So one thing that's really different about Olympic athletes is not only are they the best in the world technically, but they have to be able to mentally get in that space right away. They can't wait. They can't wait for inspiration. Boom. They need to just make it happen. So a lot lot of researchers studied Olympic athletes. and And one of the things they do is they have their rituals. They have their habits. So I was inspired by that, and I have my own set of habits. Like you, I know that if I do a few key things, then I'm gonna, as close as possible to guarantee, I'm gonna make that day a successful day. So for me, uh, you know, simple things like starting with sleep. By the way, can I just talk about sleep for a second? Okay, every, like everybody in America is like, oh my God, I, I need to sleep better. I suck at sleep. I can't sleep well. And it's like, really? There's like two main things. If you fix these things, the sleep problem disappears. You don't need a pill. You're not narcoleptic. Give me a break. One, stop drinking caffeine after a certain point in the day. Test it. Some people it's 3 p.m., some people it's noon, whatever it may be. Two, stop using the computer towards the end of the day. sleep time. Yeah. Now, that's very unsexy to say. It is. Very. Whoa, whoa, what about this? What about using F-Lux on my computer? It's this cool tool that goes down. No, I mean, you could do it if you want, if it makes you feel better. But one of the things I find in creative life is um, rather than looking for the gimmicks, look for the things that actually matter. So in habits, sleep matters for me. Um, If I do those two things, problem goes away. I sleep beautifully. Um, Two, when I wake up, I don't wonder what to do today. I'm very fanatical about my calendar. So my calendar is laid out and in the morning I'm more, um, like I'm more alert and creative. So I do my writing in the morning and I have a block. Uh, Within that block, I double click the link, everything is there. So I just double click and I'm in this document and I'm ready to write. No reference needed, no need to click over here. It's all in one doc, it's right in front of me. Boom, just start writing. Uh, and so once that happens, then I have meetings in the day. That's because I'm getting a little less creative and I need to just, you know, do the managing stuff. Um, and then like for me at night, it's about being social. Um, that's important to me cause I work from home a lot. If I don't I'll turn into a <laughs> nutcase, um, that's Gotta not get good. Out. Gotta it's get e- out. It's easy to do here in New York. Too. Big time. So like the, the interesting thing about that is there's no, create, there's no magic bullet to what I just said. Every creative's different. You know, we talked to Tim Ferriss. He writes late at night. I write in the morning. Um, 
But one of the key things is creatives know their style. Yeah, you figure out your own. And you admit it. Like, I don't feel guilty that after 6 or 7 p.m. I'm not really in the game. That's just who I am, okay. Um, And so I work my schedule around that. So the, the, one of the, the things that I'm deconstructing all the time is my peers, yourself, you already mentioned Tim, people who are world class at what they do, you recommended we do that. And this idea of a series of habits that yeah. you get into. Um, and I think this is true for people who want to be more creative or, or even want to start a business. Like what time can you allocate every day to think about this thing, to do it, to pursue it? Um, and you know, I think I'm. I put myself not in the zero to one category. I, there's plenty of things in the world that I'm doing at zero to one. Yep. But I'm professionally. I'm in more that I know what I want to do. I'm in the one to ten. If ten is Richard Branson, and you and I are somewhere on that between one and ten. The uh, the the idea of carving out special time to pursue that dream. If you do, if you don't do that, yep. it's sort of not going to happen. So I actually make that one of my habits is to, to do or to make something every day and to give myself some time literally on the calendar to do that. I love it. What, what, um, what mistakes as a psychologist and someone who studies human behavior, what mistakes do people get into? How, how do they sort of self-sabotage oh, and what can we do to get over it? Huge. So I, <laughs> I, I love talking about productivity, but it's like one of these passion projects, I love talking to my friends about it, and then ultimately I come back to my own calendar and I'm like, oh, it's pretty much, like, it's working the way it should. I'm always looking for that extra 1%, but, you know, if I have the bulk of it right, good. Yeah, it's no silver bullets, it's lead bullets, right? A lot of lead Exactly. Bullets. Okay, so, so there's, this, um, there's this common phrase, show me a man's calendar and I will show you his priorities. And I'll add a little twist to that. Show me someone's calendar and their spending and I will show you their priorities. So for many of us, we claim that family's really important. Cool, me too. And I would say, let's look at your spending. Time and money. When was the last time you spent dedicated time flying home to see your parents or with your wife or husband? And when, what are you spending on, money-wise? It doesn't have to be a lot, but we're talking proportions here. Same thing with fun, with dating, with Fitness is a great example. So I wrote this post about spending like a lot of money on, on luxury services. And people like to talk about luxury, but they don't really give numbers. I want to talk about exactly how much I spend because nobody talks about it. And for me, one of the things is fitness. So I say, look at my time and look at my spending. And if you have a trainer or you're buying organic food or whatever it may be, that really reflects your priorities. Mistakes I see. Um, the biggest one is saying, I really want to do this, and people genuinely want to do it. Yep, in their hearts. And then they don't put it on their calendar. Calendar. That's if you don't, first of all, if you don't have a calendar, that's fine. Start using one. It doesn't, uh, the, the natural inclination is that I don't want something to control me. Oh, right. Man. But the truth is the calendar's under your control. So if you don't want to do something, then that's okay. This is new for people because you're actually starting to respect yourself. And what that means is if I put something on my calendar, I respect myself enough to actually honor it. So if it's on there, it's going to happen. And if it's not, and I sort of skip over it once or twice, then I know there's some kind of internal problem. Like maybe I don't really want to do this meeting. Uh, that's hard because it's- and then you got to deal with that. Right? Yeah, yeah then you it's easier for, to say, oh, the world, oh, I got these emails and it made me so busy and I just couldn't get to it today. Not acceptable. At the highest levels, it's not acceptable. 
if you don't plan your day, the world will plan it for you. Yeah, I, I talk about it in terms of writing. If you don't write your own script, someone will write it for you. And that was the story of my life, actually. I was yeah. on a path to do things that everybody else, and they were all great things, but they were all things that everybody else thought I should do. Yeah. And it was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to overcome personally. And I'm a, I'm a stubborn son of a bitch. I am a type A, aggressive, sort of like do what I want to do, only child kind of person. And I struggled. I let everybody else's messages yeah. sort of program me and say, oh gosh, you're smart. Well, why don't you you'll be a doctor or a lawyer? Yep. Or, you know, again, you have an opportunity to pursue a career in professional soccer. Well, of course that's what you're going to do. And when I left all those things, which was very, very, very hard to pursue a career as a photographer and an entrepreneur, it was a major like, what? What are you doing? You're going to blah, blah. And not from the people that were actually closest to me, but yeah. sort of that next layer yeah. of friends or acquaintances. It's amazing the identity you create for yourself, right? Because like it or not, we all crave approval and it can happen in the most subtle ways. So like, for example, one of the things I've noticed is something I call the handshake effect. It's like if someone comes over to your apartment or your house, especially here in Manhattan, and you got a nice view, you got a nice place, as they're meeting you, they're gonna go like this. Wow, nice place. Do you, do you own this place? And this is a pivotal moment. It's a pivotal <laughs> moment. You don't even know this person. You're just meeting them and shaking their hand. And if you say, I own it, yes, they go, wow, this guy's kinda young, he owns this beautiful place, and you get this approval. That feels good, even if you don't know who the person it's is. It's a little shadow dopamine. Boom, and this is one of the ways that society tells us, for example, that you need to own a house, right? And this is like a very subtle, insidious pressure, and if you don't own it, you're a failure. Ooh. The American dream, blah, blah, blah. Now, I happen to not believe that. I believe that, like, I rent on purpose, <laughs> and... Because um, you could just say, like, all right, hey, landlord, I got a leaky faucet. Bingo. Because you don't want to have to manage Or I'm moving to San Francisco tomorrow or whatever. I'm moving different neighborhoods. The, the point is for a lot of us, we are influenced by these subtle things. So your family might say, oh yeah, you know, Chase got a graduate degree and everyone else is like, hmm. If anyone here is Asian or Indian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we have to be aware of that because like it or not, it affects us. And the same thing is true for the creative process. Oof. It's really hard to be creative. Otherwise, everybody would do it. Yes. So let's just kind of be aware of what these subtle messages are. You can choose to accept them. Like I accepted some from my background, which is education's the best, um, you know, be good to your family, etc. I accepted those, I love it. Others, like you need to be an engineer or a computer scientist, <laughs> I did not accept. So I believe that what you just said is perhaps the single largest thing that's helping, that's keeping people from their dreams. Oh. And whether those dreams are in career or hobby or life, that, that paradigm of not allowing yourself to be programmed oh. is very hard, right? That's, I mean, that is, I just gave my own example of how stubborn and bullish I am and I lived everybody else's dreams and I spent tens of thousands of dollars on graduate school. I was in a PhD in philosophy because when I decided not to be a MD doctor, I was like, oh, well, I'll just get a doctorate. And right. it's like oh, second place for my parents. They'll think <laughs> I'm smart still. And that cost me years of my life. It cost me 50 grand. And only to realize partway through that, like, I, I want nothing to do with this. Yeah. So if even bullheaded, I, I know how I overcame it, but what are some things that you feel like 
is there a, is, is it making a behavior? Is it like small steps? Is it, how do we go from zero to one specifically on this thing of starting to live the, your dreams? Getting, getting out of everyone else's path or rut for you. It's one of the hardest things you could possibly do. It's but like, this is the key, people. Like, yeah. this is literally it. Like, you're sitting there right now going, I want to do something different. And my husband's telling me we have a mortgage, I can't do this. My parents are telling me, like, oh man, you'll, you know, you're going to, you want to be a, an artist. There's a reason they call them starving artists. Right. And, and all that shit is not true. I think there's examples everywhere else in the world that, that of, of overcoming those things. But what's the, Help me understand So, so this is a, f a phrase we call invisible scripts. Okay. These are the scripts that guide our lives and they are so deeply embedded that we, they're invisible to us. And invisible scripts would include things like edu more education is good. It's very common. In fact, it's so common, how can you even argue with it? Um, <laughs> buying a house is part of the American dream. Who could argue with that? Having kids. Having kids. Everybody's gotta have kids, otherwise you're selfish. That's another invisible script, right? And they're very subtle and very yeah. insidious. So, um, so the first thing to do is to think, almost like if you asked a fish, are you swimming in water? It doesn't understand. They're just, yeah. they're, they don't speak English, first of all, and <laughs> they don't know what you're talking about. So to, to actually realize there's a game being played around you. This is a phrase I learned from somebody named Steve Blank. There's a game being played around us and we can notice it from just looking at the world with a more objective lens, with a more scientific lens. For example, the media constantly telling us that the economy is crumbling, times are tough, etc. Actually, unemployment is way down, the economy is doing great, and, but you can't talk about that. When I went on book tour, um, the economy was really in the, in the gutter. It was uh, 2009, and I went to all these uh, different cities, I went to 13 cities, and I went on local news, and they were all talking about the economy is destroyed, et cetera, unemployment, everybody's unemployed. I said, you know, true, but actually 90% of Americans are employed, and they want to live a rich life. And do you know what they told me? We're not gonna talk about that. We need to talk about everybody who's in debt. So the narrative around us is being constructed. Number one, stop and say, hmm. Do I wanna participate? Do I wanna participate in this? and where am I getting my news sources from, et cetera. That's a huge issue. Uh, number two is to say, let me pick just two to three people who I really admire. And I guarantee you the people that you pick are going to be out of the mainstream in some way. Like if it's you, you dropped out of the PhD program on purpose and you became this professional photographer, now CEO. Whoa, that's a very interesting path. What did Chase do to get there? So now I'm Googling Chase Jarvis interview, Chase Jarvis bio. I'm reading everything that you've said and you basically laid it out there. I have. Yeah. You, you told everybody everything. Now, the, the information is not what we need. It's actually taking it and applying it to our zero to one life. And that is saying things like, you know what? I always say, should I do X or should I do Y? Should I, okay, and this is one of my favorite concepts. Um, when I was in high school, you get these applications and there's an FAQ on these college applications. And one of the FAQs was, should I take a, an easier class and get a B? Excuse me, should I take an easier class and get an A or a harder class and get a B? And you know what the answer was? I thought it was one of the ballsiest answers I've ever heard. The college said, um, we always recommend that you take the most challenging classes you can, but in our experience, our top candidates take the harder class and get an A. <laughs> yes and yes. So it's not should I do X or Y. It's if you flip the frame, 
Should I do X or Y? Yes. And the way you get to that is to look at somebody like Chase. I say, should I you know, be a good partner or should I be a good CEO? Yes. If you can do it, then I know it's possible and so now I want to figure out how. This is a very different perspective. Um, I'm looking at the best. So number one, I'm studying the best. Number two, I'm saying, wow, they made some decisions and they're doing stuff that normal people don't do. Well, Chase did it. Chase isn't some mutant. Right. He, he might have had a little bit more experience than me. He might think a little differently than me, but he laid it all out. How can I do what he does? I'm gonna just take it one step at a time. Let's dive into that because I think, again, there's, I, I look at, at having talked to a lot of, uh, and have had a lot of peers in the game who are high achievers and talk to a lot of people who are in this sort of, like, how do I make change in my life? What you just described, I think, is, um, let's talk about how to, I guess one of the things that I get the most questions on is like, yeah, but how did you do that? Mm. Or, wow, that seems risky. So first of all, I believe that this is the, it's probably the first time in the history of the world where the, the thing that was risky is actually more safe yeah. than what our parents would have said. So going to college, spending, the average student comes out of college with a $35,200 debt, uh, that is actually starting to become the riskier path. And so in a world that's trying to get you to be vanilla, nobody that I know who is successful or, or I'll even say, not happy might be a stretch, but some sort of intersection of those things that we aspired to successful, happy, uh, comfortable in their own skin, whatever, took the normal path. Mm. The, 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 the new norm is not normal, and the new beige is, is anything but beige, basically. So let's talk about how do we, like, that, the, how the world looks about that, looks on that, and how can we resist the, the world's trying to make us vanilla yeah. or beige or whatever. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I do think the world tries to make you vanilla. I get it all the time in very subtle ways. People say, you know, I was listening to this podcast interview you did until you used the F word. Or I was reading your emails and this is unconscionable. <laughs> Unsubscribe. And, and I, I just think, you know, the world wants me to be vanilla. I could stop using curse words and I could I don't stop. know how, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. It's and uh, my emails would be this short. Yeah. And I could dress a different way because they didn't like this beard or this hair, whatever. And the minute you turn vanilla, the world abandons you. So people will tell you, I want you to do this, you shouldn't do this, you should do that, you need to do that. And the minute you start doing all that, you regress to the mean, the game is over. I say different, not better. There you go. It's like a different restaurant. Different and better. Yeah. If, if you're a restaurateur and you get all these critics tell, you know, oh, I hate this, and oh, he served it in the wrong way, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what they say, and all of a sudden, you have an empty restaurant. Why, because you're just like everybody else. Um, I, you know, I think, I actually think some of my views are a little counterintuitive from a lot of entrepreneurs. These days it's very popular for people to say, you know, skip college, um, you, nobody needs to get any education, you could just create a, a life of your dreams online. And I actually believe that education matters. I believe that first and foremost, you need to understand the game being played around you and you need to win at that game. So people come to me, they're like, Ramit, um, you know, do you think that I should work on my business or I should get good grades? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, you should. Yeah. Both. So the best people I know, they got good grades because they played the game. They know the game and they mastered it. And they were like, you know what? I'm going to start a business on the side. And I'm going to start it with five hours a week, which we teach how to do. 
then you can scale it up to 10 and 40 and you can hire employees if you want and you can make millions or whatever you want. Uh, I think first you need to master the game. And if you wake up, for example, and you're always tired, if you're not in good shape, uh, if you don't have good relationships, you're not mastering the game. So first things first, kind of unsexy. Base principles. Base principles, table stakes, get your sleep in order, um, get your calendar in order, etc. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I was at dinner the other night with a bunch of entrepreneurs and we went around the table introducing ourselves. And one of the questions was, if you weren't here, what would you be doing? Interesting question. As in here at the table? Yeah, like if you weren't with this group, what would you be doing tonight? And so people had these different things and I said that I would be at this uh, hot sauce shop that opened up in Brooklyn because I love hot sauce. There's a woman a couple of seats over and she said, you know, I live in Manhattan and if I weren't here, I would be cooking because I never cook and I'm trying to cook one time per month. Okay. Per month. Everybody laughed. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Only once a month. Ha. I thought she was the most honest person in the room because I can guarantee you that the majority of people in that room never cook. She could have lied and said, I'm trying to cook three times a week. She actually was honest and she said, I just want to cook once a month. That's success. Declare victory, go home. Done. So I would say if you're, if you're still at the zero stage where you're trying to, you're thinking about getting creative, first things first, master the game. Get the sleep in order and you could say, you know what, I want to go to sleep by 11 p.m. one night a week. Not seven nights, just one night a week. Um, I want to, you know, maybe it's eating, maybe it's working out, whatever it may be, one time a week. Set a small goal, win, and then you can add to it from there. I love these are these these core principles are so simple but so powerful. That's the thing that I can't stress enough to anyone who's paying attention right now. Uh, and I go back to my personal habit list. It's things on there like exercise every day, mm. eat 30 grams of protein before within 30 minutes of waking up. These are very very simple things that it's the difference between me being very very high functioning yeah. and not. So. Let's take care, like put your oxygen mask on before assisting other passengers. You've heard that in the airline safety videos. Is it fair to say this is the same thing? There's a handful of base principles you've talked about. Calendar, personal fitness, personal health and well-being. That's table stakes. Table stakes. By the way, I, I have to say, I used to ignore the same advice. So I hate myself already. <laughs> you hate your, your A lot of creatives, like a lot of self-loathing, yeah, you know. It's like, it, it's like a blanket you wear. So I would read these uh, interviews with CEOs and all these cool people and they always ask him, what's your morning ritual? What do you do to get in the zone? And without fail, every single one of them would say, I wake up in the morning and I work out. And I was like, oh, whatever. Like what software technology do they use? What's their project management tool? Like I skipped right over that. It's literally the most critical things, so yeah. I thought I was too smart and Sometimes creatives and smart people have this problem of being too smart for their own good. They want to skip over the stuff that's obvious to get to the novel part. But when I was at Stanford, one of my professors was a communications professor. Now communications does not get a lot of respect. Um, it's kind of seen as like, you know, just like soft, soft and the smart people are busy taking uh, computer science. I actually loved it. I was in a class, this was a class on relationships and relational love and the professor made a really good point. She said, you know, the value in the material you're learning is not in the novelty, it's in the utility. And what she meant was this stuff that you can apply every day. It's not particularly intellectually difficult. Yeah. It's applicable. 
And so when I look at what I was doing with this productivity stuff, I was skipping over it because it wasn't novel. Oh, I've heard it before. Everyone says this. Everyone says it. But if someone had asked me point blank, yeah, but do you do it? Uh, no. Because I was one of those guys who read all these books about paleo and Atkins and this and that, but I didn't actually eat right. In trying to hack the system, you looked beyond the things that were actually just the, the base core principles. Bingo. You must get this a lot with people asking you about creative stuff. All the time. Yeah, yeah, Chase, I know I should uh, take you know, at least 100 photos a day, but uh, what camera do you use? Literally, they, they will circumnavigate the part, the part that I feel like is a differentiator. You said take 100 photos. Just if you're making something every day, yeah. and even if it's terrible, I literally will with intention make something every day. Like, this is the thing that I'm making mm. today. Or I will schedule it in my calendar. Like, this is the time for making. And I would say, I mean, I track these habits every day. I could yeah. literally tell you what days over the past 365 days I have not actually made something. It's very, wow. very, very, very few. It's very few. And those are the dirty secrets that people don't really want to know because I think they're always chasing this sort of the sexy stuff. Yeah. It's incredible to know how far core principles will get you. So again, the zero to one, uh, is it fair to say that it's really about sort of core principles? Core principles, mastering them. And you know, for me, I'm inspired by um, videos like uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, where um, the person who Great creates, documentary film, if you haven't seen it, about, uh, about a guy who makes the best sushi and his, I believe it's his son, yeah. is a sushi chef in Seattle named yeah. Shiro. Incredible, yeah. super good. The, just to get the rice right, it takes the person years before he's even allowed to do it on his own. I mean, just think about the, the craftsmanship and the discipline. So maybe you don't want to get to that level, okay, fine, but table stakes zero to one, get master it, your sleep is under control. And it's not, one of the things I notice is uh, sometimes things are very emotional, they're very heated. Like, oh, I, I really need to get to sleep or I, I just can't sleep. I'm not the kind of person who sleeps well, I sleep, like it's just this very heated thing. Stories that we're telling ourselves. Yes, I'm not the kind of person who can go to sleep by 10. We tell ourselves these stories. I used to be, oh, I'm this skinny Indian guy who can't gain weight. That was my story. I told myself, in truth, I wasn't eating enough and I didn't know how to work out. It's so obvious. But I was like, oh, my genetics. You look great, by the way. Thank you. So the stories we tell ourselves, we want to interrogate those and say, I'm probably not a freak of nature. I'm probably not a genetic freak. If Chase can do something, I can do it. Let me break it down. That's zero to one, master the basic behaviors, and then you're ready to talk about the advanced stuff, and that's where it gets really fun. Sure. Well, let's, let's hold, on to the re hold in reserve the advanced stuff, and I wanna go into Ramit the human for a little bit. What's something about you that most people don't know that if they found out, they would be surprised? Um, I think that, uh, Man, I have like a pretty open book. I feel like I'm at a disadvantage when people meet me. Uh, I, t I tell them everything. <laughs> it's all out there, I'm just naked. I mean, I tell them everything. I, uh, like, the, the, the thing that I think would surprise people is that, is how uncomfortable I used to be, and in some ways still am about, like the things that are embarrassing. Um, for, for me, it was little things like. Um, uh, Clearly being skinny. Skinny was a huge one. Oh, huge. And you can see this a lot, like going to um, the beach or something like that and kind of people not taking their shirts off. That's a big one. Um, and in fact, I know a lot of my students who are weight loss uh, instructors. And one of the things they notice is a lot of women who are mothers 
um, they won't take pictures with their kids. So they have almost like years of their children on the beach where they're not in the pictures. Why? Because they didn't want to be, they, they were embarrassed. It's really heartbreaking. And, and I experienced that. Um, same thing with these scripts I told myself about, you know, um, meeting women or like, oh, I'm, I got to focus on studies. I don't want to be shallow. Working out, that's shallow. Those things, even the music I listen to, which is like horrible, like late 90s R&B. I mean, it's, actually it's amazing. But I used to like not talk about it at all. What I learned, which I'm still in the process of learning is, once you get comfortable with it, like I like Jodeci, I'm gonna admit that. Uh, and then you can actually kind of own it. And so that's been a, a process. Like I actually do write about listening to Whitney Houston at the gym. But I think there's still other things in my life that I probably am embarrassed about still that I don't share. If there's a takeaway from that, it's that everybody has those things. And, and the way I feel like the best creatives that I know think about it is those things that were quirky and made you weird as a kid, those are huge strengths now. Yeah. And if you can own that stuff, like that is not only does it help you move through the world, feel good about yourself so you can get on to thinking about the things that are going to help you live your dreams, but owning it in a sort of public environment is, it sort of, it sets other people at ease because it reminds them that you're, that they're just, that you're just like them. Yeah. Like there's sort of this approachability around it. So I will, I'll remember this about the Whitney Houston. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so that's a remedism that we know that you like Whitney Houston and you haven't admitted it very, or maybe you've written about it, but our, our audience I love is her. How about, um, Something that you want to do, but you personally haven't yet started to achieve. Oh wow, uh, this is this is great. So we could, for, we could go for years, I'm sure, because we all have big dreams. Yeah, but just give us a couple of simple ones. That, and I'm trying to do this so the folks at home realize that Ramit, super successful, yeah. has done so much. New York Times bestselling author, he's a CEO, making five million bucks in some weeks, but that there's still stuff in your life that's undone. Uh, definitely. Uh, so I think for me, like one of the things is I remember being asked to MC a wedding and I turned it down. That's like a pretty big honor to be asked to MC a wedding. Yeah. And I just know that I don't have that kind of style. Um, I'm not the kind that can get that crowd riled up. And I believed that. And I think to some extent, if I'm honest, I still believe that. But I know in the back of my head, that's just a story I'm telling myself. That Actually, I could learn the skills. I think he would crush. I don't think so. I, I mean, like right now, I'm telling you from where I'm sitting, like I love hanging out with you. I love hanging out in a small group, but like on the mic, it's not me. And I just, I see this glimmer in the back of my head where I'm like, I think I'm just telling myself a stupid story. So I'd like to get to that point. And maybe it involves taking a stand-up class, maybe improv, who Improv's knows? powerful. Yeah, um, but that's something that I, it's like here, and I'd like to bring it to the forefront. And one of the things that I love about talking to people like yourselves who have done so much is that you actually, if you applied these rules that you're sharing to the world, which is yeah. actually what you will do at some point when you decide to prioritize that. Yeah. Um, Th that's, a, that's a great lesson too, is that just because you know these lessons doesn't mean you always apply it yourself. And I'll be the first to admit it. Um, I know how sales, marketing, persuasion works. I still get persuaded all the time. <laughs> I mean, I have people who use my own negotiation strategies against me. I'm like, oh shit, all right, that's pretty good. You know, I, I, just because you know it doesn't mean that you're immune to it. And I think that's actually comforting. That's the human condition, is that just knowing something isn't enough. 
and, and as you said, like prioritizing, I have a lot of people who are a little bit older than me and the advice they give me is um, get more spiritual, yoga, etc. Now I thought a lot about it because if all these successful people are telling me this, there's probably something to it. And what I decided was that at this point in my life, I'm not into that and that's okay. But I also know enough to know like probably at some point it's gonna come back. Yeah, like I'm not different than anybody else. I'm pretty much the same like 98% of the time. So I bet you one day you're gonna see me coming in doing some leg thing with yoga and <laughs> namaste, stuff like that. Uh, Tim Ferriss, we mentioned a couple times in this talk already, he's part of the series, that uh, he was asking me like, dude, you're all zen out and you're killing it, like what's up? And I was like, oh man, I started meditating a couple years oh, ago. Oh shit, now you're gonna tell me to meditate. I'm not, I'm not gonna go, because you know, I just said it without saying it. But uh, Tim tells a funny story of not wanting to, ironically there's this, this, this weird twist that goes on in meditation is that most of the people who I know who've done, uh, you know, achieved a reasonable amount of success, part of, and this is a story that we tell ourselves, part of how we got there or did that thing mm. um, was because of our relentlessness, our always on, hard charging, and so this was a story that Tim was telling himself, and I was like, well, did, maybe think about it in terms of just try this thing and maybe you'll realize that if that all of that stuff that you thought actually got there was actually an anchor. And so Tim started meditating. Wow. Just, this shit just took off. And it was me and Rick Rubin who were like beating him up and now he's like, all right, I figured it out. So Damn. the thing that you think got you there yeah. might actually be something that's holding you back. It's very humbling to realize, very, because you, you, if you actually get into that zone, you might realize that what you thought for the last 25, 35, 40, it was actually wrong. Yeah. And um, there's a guy named Michael Ellsberg who tells this great story about how he once went, he, he'd been sort of unsuccessful with dating. And he I went know to- Michael really well. He, yeah. You get the eye, the oh eye yeah, the eye contact thing. thing. Great book. Yeah. And so he went to a dating seminar for men and they put all these men on stage and after interacting with the crowd, they put these men on stage and people from the audience, in particular women, stood up and told them what they thought of them. Wow. He said there were grown men crying because you know some of these men were, were told, um, you come off as really creepy, uh, you are not fun, you're boring, etc. And Michael said, you know, what I had thought for 25 years was wrong and these men are crying on stage. That moment, Heavy, yeah. th there, there's something powerful there. How do we get to that moment? How do we look at what the world sees of us instead of just what we see through our mind's eye? I'll tell you one of the scariest things ever is to go and ask a couple of close friends and say, you know what? I'm trying something new, I'm trying an experiment. I'd love to get your help. Would you be open to giving me some feedback? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'd love for you to tell I'm me. I'm gonna do this on you right after the camera oh, stop rolling. <laughs> tell me one thing that you think I'm good at or something that I do differently than other people. I'd love to hear it. And also, I'd love for you to tell me one thing that you think I should improve. That's sort of the surface level way, all right? That's gonna get you stuff like, um, oh, you're really, you're always organized, you're always on time. And you know, if there's one thing you can improve, it's like, you know, you, you've talked about wanting to change your clothes and you know, maybe it's time there's a sale at Ross. Okay, <laughs> sort of generic stuff, right? Now, then there's the next level. you wanna probe, yeah. yeah, you wanna get that knife in there and twist it and say, okay, appreciate it, I'd love to go shopping with you. But I'm actually trying to, like, Actually. personally I have a feeling that 
you know, I'm not that approachable, that um, sometimes I'm mean, uh, sometimes I'm two-faced, like stuff that you know. We all know there's yes. stuff in the back of our mind that we're, we don't like about ourselves. Very aware of ourselves, sure. And so you give them the space. And so you say, you know, sometimes I think i Things I'm more like this, not where to get my clothes. Bingo. The same, the same is true with creatives, for example. Like if you really want someone to look at your work, yeah. And you, you need to invite it. And that's why I, I start off by saying, will you review my portfolio? I'm like, all right, I really only have one mode. And that's the super honest mode if I'm going to review your work. So, so they say, let me guess. They say, yeah, 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 I want you to be honest. And then you are honest with the <laughs> yeah. pros and the cons. Yeah. And then what happens? Their eyes are like, wow. Mm. Uh, it, it's very hard for them to take in. And, and that's because we identify ourselves with our work. And yes. the ability to put a little bit of distance there to turn off the narrative. And if you can actually lean in and ask for this sort of feedback. Yeah. You're talking about it in human, in human terms and yes. relational terms. I'm talking about it in reviewing your work, but there's obviously a huge tie there. Invariably, I get, I would say I get a handful of notes every single week that says, you told me X, X years ago, Y years ago, and I believed it, I learned from it, and now Z is happening. Ah, this is music to my ears. So there's a complete lack and absence of people telling you the truth in your life. And you know what? I totally get it because now I've gotten a little older, I have friends, and basically, I, I, it's crazy to say this, but the more and more I get older, the more friends I have, the more I realize that it's probably better to just be nice. Why, why stir the pot? Why tell them the truth? Oh, I didn't really like that chicken. No, nah, chicken was pretty good. Oh, I had a great time, see you next time. Why? Do I really need to be Mr. Honest Ramit? And this is kind of a story I told myself. What I've realized is that, um, the cost, the social cost to telling someone the truth if you don't like something is so high yes. that it's easy, it, it's almost crazy to tell them the truth. So if you want it, you gotta like rip open yeah. and just be like, please. Sure, and there, being nice is a nice quality, but also this is, this is trying to tell you if you really are looking for hardcore feedback yeah. on a way to make your art better, to help you get from zero to one starting your thing, then you have to double, triple ask. Because they won't tell you. Yes. People, they have, a, they have opinions and feedback, but you ask them the first time, they're gonna say, oh yeah, your clothes. You ask them the second time, oh, your shoes. The third time, where you, like, you open yourself up, yeah. maybe, just maybe, they'll tell you the truth. Here's a good exercise I learned from uh, a great guy, author named Marshall Goldsmith. He said, you know, Ramit, do you believe it's important to ask your employees about how happy they are? I said, yes. You know, he said, this, this, this. He said, would you do the same thing in a relationship? Would you ask a girlfriend or a wife, would you just text them and say, how can I improve as a boyfriend? How can I improve as a husband? Or for people watching, how can I improve as a girlfriend or a wife or a daughter or son? How many of us have ever done that? None. Yeah. So if you're watching, pull out your phone and per Marshall Goldsmith's advice, text your partner, your mom and dad, your kids, and say, what could I do to be a better dad? Just one thing. I mean, the trepidation of just putting that, I mean, think of how vulnerable yeah, it is. For sure, it's very vulnerable. If you can do that with your partner, you can do that creatively. Brene Brown talks about there's no creativity without vulnerability. And for the artists that the people that, that, oh man, I love this person or that person, or they talk about hard things. Yeah. And they don't, they don't walk around like crying all the time, like they're a normal <laughs> human, you know, they can conduct themselves, but at the appropriate moment, they'll really, they'll go there. And that's that sort of human connection component and I think the ability to learn. Yeah. So 
Now, we went into you a little bit. I want to go back to not from zero to one, but from one to ten. So if zero to one was, was, um, was very much about sort of fundamentals and productivity and getting the, the, the basics together, starting to create something every day or how do I actually spend not my nine to five, but my five to nine learning about this business that I want to start online. What is, what is one to ten? What is, what's the next phase? This is a... Um, in my opinion, it's more exciting. Uh, it's more challenging. So, because the basics are sort of, you got those, you handled it. It's like brushing your teeth. It's not a question anymore. You just do it. Now, you get to take these exciting ideas and start to implement them and grapple with some cooler things. So, for us, in our business, you know, the first thing was like, how do I, for me, it was like, how do I write stuff where people actually care about what I have to say? Okay, I learned that. How do I create a product that will sell? I sold a $4.95 ebook. We talk about this in our other video on yeah, YouTube. Incredible. I was just terrified. And you know, there were all these people saying like, screw you, maybe if this were 30 cents, I would buy it. And we talk about the psychology of valuing yourself. So at a certain point, um, we created a product on freelancing called Earn 1K. And that thing did really well. I think when we first launched it, it generated something like $600,000. So I was like, I had no idea that it would ever do that well. And that's when you realize that you're playing at a different level. And boy, this is when things get interesting. One, the habits that got you here are not going to get you there. Not the same habits. You can't just keep getting sleep. Totally. You can't become a world-class performer. Yeah, exactly. Sleep it, it becomes something that instead of like your goal, which was up here, now it's just a tool that you utilize. You utilize sleep, etc. Um, the things I used to do, like I, I would work with, I was working with somebody on my team and I asked him, like we had this big launch and I wanted to continue growing. And I said, you know what, I need you to step up and be more strategic. Now, he didn't really know what that meant. I'll tell you the truth, I wasn't really sure what that meant at the time. But he, I said, come back with a plan on how we can grow. And after a week or two, he came back with a plan that said, you know, we need to change paragraph two of this email because the copy isn't quite right. That's not strategic. That's what, tactical. that's tactical. I might have done that two years ago, but when you're operating at a different level, now you're talking about business model. You're talking about breaking your business down into things like traffic, conversion, sales, uh, or whatever your business model might be. You're looking at the competition. I asked my dad, who's an engineer, no surprise. I said, dad, uh, if you were to take like an engineering exam right now that some college seniors taking, do you think you could pass it? I was just curious. I like to ask the masters if they could do the beginning stuff. And my dad thought about it. He said, you know, probably not. I don't know the formulas anymore, but I have the intuition and I know of faster and more efficient ways to problem solve. And when you go from zero to one and then one to 10, you may not be as technically inclined. For example, I don't even know how to send emails to our list anymore. <laughs> but I have somebody on our team who does that. Some very complicated responses or some crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. But I have the intuition to know if this entire sequence is gonna be effective, et cetera, et cetera. So giving up control is something I struggle with, something I'm working on, but keeping your eye on the bigger picture, which always gets bigger, and you just start to grapple with bigger and bigger meals, that is something that ends up being one to 10. 
So, oh yes, thanks Top Off Our Water. Thanks Dolly. a lot. You saw me reach for it twice, didn't you? You're good. <laughs> You're good, thanks Maddie. Um, let me get a little sip here. So, yeah. um, on our path from one to 10, um, I felt like for me that zero to one was really about learning how to learn. Yeah. And then one to 10 was, a, was just a constant um, cycle of realizing that the next level required me to learn this skill set and then I was able to apply my sort of method of deconstruction and how is it going to work for me and then application over and over and over. So A, tell me if you think that's true, that you, you need to learn how you learn or how the best people in the world learn and then from one to 10, it's about rapidly, rapidly learning. So do you agree with that and B, tell us a little bit about how you have applied that principle. Yeah, I think that the way we say it is um, for creating an online business through Growth Lab, uh, year one is just learning to crawl, year two, learning to walk, year three, learning to run. And that's accelerated. Um, for some of our products that we create, it takes us two, three years of research um, to even show it to the public. Wow. So um, I, I believe in a longer time span. Jeff Bezos says, you know, we're more patient than anybody else. That is a virtue that few people have. And I think that that's really special. So uh, one to 10, I also think um, you're looking at taking, okay, the, one of the most important and challenging parts of one to 10 is you're actually already pretty good at the basics. And so this is where it gets really tricky. Staying humble becomes increasingly hard, really hard. I'm gonna give you an example. I met a bunch of people who are in the online marketing world. Tell you the truth, I don't really hang out with most of these people, but I was in the room and one of my coworkers was there and we all went around the room introducing ourselves and I told my coworker, I said, watch how people introduce themselves. They're gonna say two things. One, how much money they make and two, how little time they spend on their business. Why? Because that's sort of that, what's... The, that combination shows success. Yeah, I'm so successful. And my coworker goes, no way. I go, watch. The first person who introduced himself goes, uh, I have this business called blah, 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 dot com. Uh, make $600,000 a year. Work two and a half days a week. And I'm just looking at my... <laughs> what I tell you. That's right. And I actually found it just horrible. Because I want to work more because I love what I do. And money to me, that's not the success factor. That's just a byproduct. What I learned is that uh, the people who were in that room had a really difficult challenge because they had created an identity of making a lot of money and not working that much. Well, guess what? When that's they saw someone choice. else, bingo, they put themselves in a corner. When their friends started doing more than they did, now they're stuck and they have this cognitive dissonance. I want to make more, I want to be more successful, but I make pretty good money and I live on the beach. You know what, I'm just gonna kind of stay here. And now they've painted themselves into a stagnant corner. So as you get more successful, I have a number of people who email me all the time. They're like, Ramit, I don't know, this course seems a little too basic for me. I don't know, should I join? And I go, what's your business doing? What kind of revenue? They go, we're making $70,000 a year or 250,000, whatever the number. And I think to myself, this, material helped generate millions and millions of dollars and millions of readers. And you think you're too advanced at 70K or 250K or whatever. 
you take a look at any of the greats, they still take photos every day. Yep. They still practice their dribbling every day. I still buy $10 books, I still buy $1,000 products from people whose businesses are a fraction the size of ours. Staying humble is really hard. I think that's a huge, huge uh, advantage if you can. Mm. Um, uh, ironically, I was just talking to uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Anthony Ray, talked about coming up through hip hop in the 80s and 90s. People, I mean, that's when he, like MC Hammer, yeah. you got the NWA, Definitely. you got these huge hip hop groups, and the ones that have stayed humble and stayed hungry are the ones that like that, that because that's the, the underscore here is stamina wins. Yes, stamina is one of the most underappreciated, undervalued. Um, I think it goes to, it goes to whether you're trying to be more creative or create a business, being sort of diligent, being in the hunt, and. Um, my trainer, I'm going to give him a shout out, Dave Warner. He's like, Chase, you were a you know a college athlete, yeah, and you push yourself very hard. You know how to, you know how to push your body to extreme limits. We're not going to do any of that here. Mm. We're not going to like crush, 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 get injured. You know, it's not three steps forward, one step back. It's just one step forward, but love one step it. forward every day. I love it. It's so rare to say like we're going to. It you was know one what? of the hardest things I've ever, the last 18 months, yeah. were one of the hardest things I've ever done. And he, Dave Werner at MoveSkill.com, has specifically rebuilt my shoulder in a way that everybody told me I've had surgeries and all that kind of yeah. stuff, wasn't possible. Now I'm doing handstand push-ups. I used to not be able to put my wow. hands above my head. It's specifically because I wouldn't, I just did something every day that moved the bus forward. Why was it hard for you? Because I want to sprint, I want to come, oh, what's possible? Mm. What is possible from a human potentiality on that scale, yeah. I want to put myself in that little quadrant. And the reality is that all of the people who are there, most of them got there through this sort of long, sustained right. pattern. Look, look, at the, look at the way that, that you're talking about it. It's understanding what victory is. And sometimes it's, for that one moment in time, outworking everyone else. And you need to be able to burst and do that. And sometimes it's taking the years-long perspective. And that's really hard. And you need to know when is the right time for which one. For sure. There's really a, hard. There, there's a fair bit of subtlety in that. But that's also learned if you're in the game every day. Yeah. Brene Brown talks about being in the arena. You can't actually criticize someone who's not in there every day doing the work. Um, and she, she keeps a list of very, a very few number of people in her wallet is what yeah. she describes it. And she only, like, ultimately those are the people that she cares if she lets those people down. Yeah. And there's a whole other class of people that if you're in my field or you're in the public eye and you're criticizing me because you've actually been in the arena, she's got a great quote, I think it's Theodore Roosevelt, mm -hmm. she knows by heart, it's called the man in the arena, you should look it up, <clears throat> then she will listen to your criticism. Yeah. And if you're neither, if you're not, not on the list of people she cares about and you haven't ever put yourself out there and done the kind of work that she's doing and other people who are sort of making impact in the world are doing, she just doesn't have time for the haters. Mm. She's just going to work every day and doing her stuff. So I think that that's, there's a fair bit of takeaway there. Yeah. Let's talk about the, let's just now pretend we're somewhere on that scale, the one to 10. And all these are pulling from your principles. So um, this particular principle I'd like to talk about is sort of self-valuing and how the market looks at you. That's one of the things, again, our video that we've done before, Maybe put it right here or right here. We had a great interview, and it was much more tactical than this yeah. one is. Um, I think folks should go watch that as well. But let's 
like dip our toe in the, in, in the shallow end of the pool here for a second because I think there's a lot of value in how you position and value yourself in the marketplace. One of my mentors is a guy named Jay Abraham and love this guy. He has, without a doubt, the biggest vocabulary of anyone I've ever met. I mean, whenever I talk to him, I have a notepad, I just write down the words <laughs> he uses. It's unbelievable. So he's a very experienced um, uh, marketing legend. And first of all, on the point of being humble, I read his $10 book. And every Wednesday, I carve out the entire day just for strategy. So I have a list of things to read. I sit on my couch. Sometimes I go to a coffee shop. Sometimes I take a couple meetings and I just think big. And truth is most of those days, nothing comes out of it. Maybe um, once a quarter, I get an game, idea. Game and yeah, and maybe two times a year, those ideas are good. So maybe two ideas a year, but they're really good. So I have to kind of go through the mess to find the gems. Process. Yeah, and, and I, read his book and it, it gave me this idea that turned into a very successful product. Well, I knew I had to meet him and I went to his website, signed up, applied for one of his programs where I had to submit references. And I was like, man, it's been like 15 years since I had to do this. <laughs> I had to like get reference letters. I'm like, who do I even ask? I love it. And he accepted me and I had to fly to LA 15 times over 15 months just to get 45 minutes with him. Wow. He change the way I think about business and the way I communicate. He teaches a concept of teaching the market to revere your work. And so many of us don't do this. So the most common thing when you see products and services out there, they'll say, you know, buy my ebook or I'm a photographer, wedding photographer. And uh, if you sign up today, it'll be 30% off or 50% off or buy one, get one free. And I think to myself and I think, that's not the game I want to play. The game I want to play is I want to spend a ton of time doing my research, front-loading the work, creating the best product. And if I believe it is the world's best, and if I know that because I've tested it with people and I got feedback, yeah, you're in the world. why on earth would I discount it 50 or even 15%? There's no reason. You never see uh, like a Mercedes commercial. You never see them yelling. Never. Think about that. A used car commercial? yelling. A Mercedes commercial? Enjoy our 300 horsepower S500, the most luxurious vehicle on the road. Completely different. So the question is, who do you want to be? There's nothing wrong with being a volume business like McDonald's. That's an amazing McDonald's business. Or Amazon, it's all about price. And Incredible. Yeah. And, but that's a business model. Think about everything embedded in that strategy. If you want to be a luxury model or a model where you're serving a few customers at the high end, which is more of our business and, and your business as well in many ways, um, yeah. then you would not discount. You would create the world's best product. You would offer an unbelievable guarantee because you stand behind it and you would back it up. For example, when you join our products, um, you're not allowed to join our flagship courses if you have credit card debt. That decision costs us millions. I love that gating. Yeah, yep. Great. We, we're very clear who we're for, who we're not. When you join any one of our products, you're going to get a phone call from a live person. And sometimes you'll get two or three calls throughout your experience just to make sure you're doing all right. Can we help? Can we hook you up with anything? That's a luxury That's next level. Yeah. yeah. And, and we're not playing the McDonald's game, but we don't have the strengths that a McDonald's might have either. So, man, <laughs> when I guess one of the things that stuck with me about that last 
uh, interview that we did was in positioning yeah. how to talk about your work, yeah. which is something that I see people, especially people who go who haven't gone from zero to one. You're just trying to figure out your thing, get into the core principles. But when you have had your first gig, you know you get a gig, you made it. Like if you're a photographer, you you shot your first wedding or you got your first portrait commission. From that point forward. Talking about how you see or how you fit into the marketplace is something that most people are very, very uncomfortable with. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that if you don't actually master the skills of talking about your profession and specifically how you see the world and the way that you're better and different, mm. you're not going to get there. Super it's, subtle. It is. Is it fair? Can you yes. comment on that? I love the way you're saying it. So most of us don't think about the market at all. When we go to pitch a client, all we're doing is like, Oh, I hope that they get this by, my, by stuff. my stuff. And so we are, first of all, necessarily scarcity minded. We're thinking that if, if I don't get this gig, then I can't pay my photographers, my this, my that. Yep. Okay. So you've already lost the game before you ever walked in. And that is a very humbling thing to realize that you already lost before you walked on the field. So we want to eliminate that. Um, and the second thing is... But how, Ramit? I'm so scared. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to show you. The, the second thing you said, which we'll dive into, is um, talk about how I'm different than the marketplace. Now, what does this mean? It means that if you're the potential client and I'm the photographer, I need to walk in knowing that you are a smart guy and you've probably evaluated... You're probably talking to three, four, five different people. So I need to acknowledge that. I don't want to BS and think I'm the only one and you should buy my stuff or or you're gonna die. No, you have a lot of options. They're all good options, right? If we're talking, you have good options. Um, let me tell you how I see the world and I'm gonna help you understand the lay of the land. Because the client, you have to serve them and help educate them on the market. They don't know photography or uh, <coughs> online business or whatever like the expert. So let's say I walk in and I'm a photographer. You know, what I would not do is say, Here's my photos. You can see that I really highlight the bride's face. She looks so beautiful. And if you sign up today, there's a 30% discount. You're a commodity. You're like sandpaper. There's a million I can go buy at Home Depot. Get the hell out of here. You haven't made sandpaper, a connection. Sandpaper, like that's just a great, like you're like sandpaper. <laughs> now, if, if I walked in and I said, you know, first of all, I really appreciate you taking the meeting. I can tell you that I took a look at your RFP, I took a look at your website. Your XYZ, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited. I think that there's so much we can do. First, I'd just love to know a little bit about where you are in your process. How did you find me? Tell me about what a dream wedding might look like. Wedding, engagement, whatever. Just to be clear, I've never shot a wedding, but it's a great example. Yeah, we'll make it up. It's, it's like I, I can have a thousand of the biggest art directors standing yeah. behind me, but the mother of the bride will never face that woman. Perfect. So <laughs> make it the example you want, sure, you and we'll it, make it up it. on the spot. And um, so now the potential client, the prospect is, they're really telling me. And sometimes they might be, like they're gonna be super expressive and talk forever. In that case, you gotta wrangle them. Sometimes they're just gonna be kind of like terse. Like that's how I would be. I'd be like, this is what I'm looking for, you tell me. And you need to vibe with them. Uh, then I might say something like this. I'd say, you know, you have a lot of different options when it comes to a wedding photographer. Um, you know, there are some photographers who are amazing at ethnic photography. For example, if you were doing an Indian wedding, I would recommend blah. Um, if you want to capture blah, 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 I would recommend X. 
But here's what I specialize in, and here's the way I see weddings. Okay, let's pause right there. What did I do? It, there, there are other people in the marketplace that if you're not the thing that I'm the best at, you're gonna to wanna to go to them. So you're sort of deferring for this, I mean, you, you tell me. Yes, yeah. exactly. Abundance mentality, yeah. and I'm being a valuable service to you. I'm telling I'm you. Adding value, we haven't even done any transactions yet. I'm yeah. adding value to you. I'm educating you on the lay of the land. How would you know that this person's the best? You're just a prospect, yeah. you wouldn't know, but I know. And I'm gonna tell you what they're the best at. Okay. And then, but if you're looking for someone who, and then you match the thing that they, you know that they need more than anything because they yeah. just took a minute or two and told you, then I think that would be fantastic. That's amazing. Situation. And sometimes you need to be honest and say, you know, I don't think we're the best fit. Yeah. So for example, if somebody comes to me and they, this happens by the way, like literally 20 times a day. They're like, Ramit, um, I'm down to my last, you know, uh, two months of money. I need to make money. So I need this online business to work. And this is the phrase they use. I don't have time to waste. I don't have time to waste on stuff that might not work. And you know what I tell them? I say, you know, I really appreciate it. You should go dig a ditch and get, no. paid, get paid. Like, go get 20 bucks an hour. Oh yeah, another thing that uh, entrepreneurs or so-called entrepreneurs really, really hate. Like they'll go, Ramit, I've been running this business for three years. I made $540 in profit total over three years. Uh, I need this thing to work. And I go, mm, can I be, can I give you some honest feedback? They go, I welcome it. And I go, I think that I would recommend you get a job to start. And once that job is stable, then you can think about that. And you know what they go? F you mother effer, because their identity isn't as an entrepreneur and the, the idea that getting a job is a failure. Okay, so back, back to this. Um, what I might say is, well, you, you nailed it exactly. Um, this is what I'm doing. If, if what you told me was something I'm not great at, I would say, you know, I actually don't think that this material is right for you, or I don't think my services are right. I actually think you should talk to John Doe, and I would be happy to make an introduction. But if they said something that, like, for example, if they said, I want to have four photographers because I want the perfect lighting, the perfect this, the perfect that, and they're talking at a premium level, that's the world I live in, then I'm gonna say, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Look at this, and I open up my briefcase, my briefcase technique. Ooh. Google it, it's yeah. so powerful. It so you is. open up, you know, <laughs> in, in this engagement, I did this, and we couldn't afford to miss the shot because we had a rock climber, and he was only gonna do it once. And so we had a helicopter, we had this, we had that, and you can see the perfect shot, and this was in the National Geographic. And then this, this, is, and this person, they're just sitting back, and they're like, just salivating. Yeah, they are. And, and finally, and this is when you know you succeeded, when you have connected, price is a mere triviality. And we talked about that in our previous yep. video, but when I work with the best people, they don't ask about price. The worst, the people who I don't want, the first question they ask is, how much does it cost? How much does it cost? And what is the refund policy? Now we have a very generous refund policy, but if your first question is about that, you yeah. will refund. I already know it. I know it for a fact, mathematically. Now if you say, tell me about how you're different, here's my situation, could you help me? Those are the best. And if they say I'm willing to spend the time to create a business, I know it's not gonna be easy, but I'm ready, I'm like welcome in. Man. So that's how you know if they're right or not versus going in and begging for a few dollars. Don't do that. So we've already referenced our earlier video that you and I did on this show a couple years ago. It's very, very tactical. The briefcase technique, how to sort of position yourself in the marketplace. There's a ton on that. You have a great class on Creative Live called How to Make Money for Creatives 
that, again, very, very, very tactical. Super, like the exact words to use. A script. It, yeah, the, if the client says this, you say that. Like it gets I, down to the nitty gritty. Didn't you have people like maybe even in the class calling and like they would go away at lunch and yeah. you'd say how much of the, they could get their credit card debt reduced or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And like 50, just with the script that you gave them, like 50% of the people got their credit card reduced yeah. or something. I don't remember what was great. So, and then on the, the high end, stuff that you do so well at I Will Teach You To Be Rich, products like Zero To Launch. Yeah. Um, there's a whole whole range. Is there any particular product that you steer people towards? Yeah, or? I would recommend that they go to growthlab.com slash 400K. Okay, and number F, number yeah, 400, 400 K. Okay. And what that is, is gonna show you one of the campaigns that we use to generate for over $400,000, and it really breaks down the psychology behind it. Right. Whether you are creating an online business or you're a creative doing services, that's gonna show you some of the psychology that's not very obvious on the surface. I love all the psychology that underpins how to become, how to go from zero to one, how to become a successful entrepreneur, creative, how to live, live your dreams. And again, we're not, this is not only for people who are trying, you, you can do these things uh, to be a, a solopreneur or an entrepreneur. You can do these things and use these techniques inside of a company, but how do you think and behave entrepreneurially and creative? And when I say creative, I mean creative with a capital C, like all forms of creativity, mm -hmm. not drawing, painting, design. Um, you're at Ramit everywhere, pretty much, right? Yep, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can find me, just search my name. I'm out there. You're out there. Anything that you wanna leave us with? You know, I think for the first time in our lives, we don't have to wait for gatekeepers. And in the past it was, you know, if I want to write a book, I have to wait for some New York agent to call me. If I want to create a business, I have to wait for some big funding. And I think what we talked about today was recognizing that there's no gatekeepers except one. And that's in our head. And if we can get the basics right, the stuff that's sort of unsexy that no one else wants to talk about, the sleep. If we can get the automation on the money. If we get that stuff right, and you can find all that at IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com or Growth Lab for the business, man, you are setting yourself up for great, great success and for a rich life. So don't wait. Um, you don't have to sort of it think is, of jumping from zero to a thousand. Start today. And it's literally the first time in the history of the world where you, we don't require permission to do any of these things. Yeah. There, I think you said it best. There only is one blocker, and it's us. That's right. My man, much gratitude. Thank you, man. Great to God, see you. always. The guy just delivers. It's like he's a machine. Ah, oh, like a robot. Energizer bunny. Uh, that's it. I got to wrap up. Signing off. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.